Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. Take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything based on the book, which is almost all sold out. But the podcast lives on. We're doing something really different this week on the podcast, and I hope you enjoyed. It's a whole different direction, at least for this week anyway. And we're going to get that started right now on the podcast this week. Here we go. Okay, let's start right here. When I was 21 years old, I got my first morning job in radio. And I'm going to tell you the story about how I got that job. And it's kind of interesting what that job was like at 21 years old to move away from my hometown and get my first morning job in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, let's back up a little bit. Okay, I was working in Colorado Springs, and I was doing nights, and I wanted to be probably a manager, a program director of a radio station, and I didn't really think that I wanted to be like anything but that, and that's kind of what I was going for. But then we hired a morning guy for this radio station. His name was Scott Thrower, and Scott Thrower was like no morning show that I had ever heard before in my life. He wasn't corny. He wasn't goofy. He wasn't silly. And I'd heard some really good morning shows before, but I'd never heard one just like Scott Thrower's. And I heard that, and I was captivated. I was like, shit, that's what I want to do. He was cool, and he was charismatic, and he was talented. And I'd heard some really good morning shows before, but I'd never heard any show quite like his. He was a morning show host and nothing more. He didn't have to be a program director or a, you know a music director or public service director or sell ads or anything. All his excuse me, all his job was was to do the morning show and then work on the morning show and then come in the next day and do it again. He did candid prank phone calls. We call, he called them candid phone calls. Um, he did funny characters. I mean, he was just awesome. And I listened to his show and I said, "That's what I want to do." Well, it worked out that I was going to get to do that because the radio station that I worked for. Management took me to breakfast one day and they said, guess what? you got to look for another job because they are going to change the format of this radio station and make it like a much older format. You're 21 years old. You're not going to fit in. Can you imagine being too young? Most people get out of a job because they're too old. I was too young and I was going to be booted out of this radio station. And I was a little bit nervous about it, but I thought, you know what? That's okay. It goes right in with my plan. I want to do a morning show. So to get a morning show job you have to basically prove that you can do a morning show. So my job was to put together, back then, it was an audition tape. It's not a tape anymore, but it was audition audio of me doing a morning show, proving that I could do a morning show. But how do you prove you can do a morning show if you've never done a morning show? And I'd filled in a couple of times, but I didn't have anything good that I could send off to radio stations to let them know, hey, I can do your morning show. So here's what I did. I went in a production studio, which is a, basically a studio that doesn't go on the air, and I sat in there and I made up my own little morning show with music and uh, a couple of prank phone calls and some silly bits, and I sent that off, and I didn't know how bad it was. I listened to it now, and it's truly bad. Um, and I'm going to play a little bit of it for you in a minute. But I sent that off, and I got a job offer right away in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I never, I'll never forget this. I drove up. It was a, a couple of hours drive to Cheyenne, Wyoming from where I lived in Colorado Springs. And I drove up there and the program director showed me the radio station. 
introduced me to the guy that I'd be working with who was about 45 years old, and I knew that I had nothing in common with this guy who was like an old-school news guy. Didn't really like that. And I didn't really want to live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And But the guy was so kind, and, and he you know offered me the job, and, and I didn't want the job. And so he kept calling me and, and asking me, you know, do you want the job? We want to offer it to you. I think he was offering me $1,200 a, year, a month, which was, you know, pretty decent money. But we'll leave the money out of this for now. And I didn't want to go. So he's, he threw in a gym membership and maybe a couple of other things. And I finally had to call him and tell him the very difficult thing. I don't, I don't want to come. I'm sorry. I know I applied for it. I know I came up there and visited, and I, I know that you want me to, but I don't want to come. I didn't want to live in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I'm really glad I didn't. Then, within a couple of days, I got a job offer, two at the same time. I got a job offer in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I got a job offer in Las Vegas at the same time. And the guy from Sioux Falls called me and he said, hey, I want to offer you this job. And I said, I've got a job offer in Las Vegas. I said, I really kind of think I want to look at that one. So he said, go with Las Vegas. He's like, dude, we're Sioux Falls. We're a cool town, but go with Las Vegas. That's the right move. So that was really easy. So it was just about this time in 19, I'm going to give away my age and I don't care, 1984 that I went to see my brother in Ventura, California. And when I was out there, I must have given the program director in Las Vegas my phone number because he got a hold of me and he said, hey, we want to fly you in for an interview at this radio station in Las Vegas, KLUC, which is still there, by the way. And he said, instead of flying you right back to Colorado Springs, when you fly home, we'll send you a plane ticket, fly to Las Vegas, we'll meet you, we'll take you to lunch, we'll show you around the radio station, and we'll see whether you know it's a good fit. So I'll never forget that morning. When I left on the airplane to fly to Las Vegas, I was nervous. I was dressed up, kind of dressed up. You know, I mean, I was kind of a hillbilly. I didn't really know how to dress, but I put on some nice pants and a nice shirt and a nice belt and nice shoes. And I flew to Las Vegas. And I got off the plane, and this is back in the day, you might remember these days, and maybe you don't remember. You used to be able to meet people getting off the plane. So if somebody was getting off the plane, you could stand right there and meet them as they were getting off the plane. I get off the plane, the program director, a guy named Bill Kelly, RIP Bill Kelly, uh, he was standing there and he said, well, how, welcome. Do you know who was on your flight with you? And I said, no. And he said, Casey Kasem was on your flight with you. And I'm like, no shit, Casey Kasem, you probably know, legendary DJ and the longtime host of American Top 40. I kind of regarded that as an omen, like, wow. Casey Kasem was on my flight. I'm interviewing for a radio job. This has got to go well. But let me back up one second here before I forget to get to this part. What attracted Las Vegas to me in the first place? What made them think that I was good enough to fly in and be interviewed for this job when I'd never done mornings before? I mean, remember, I was 21 years old, and I'd never, besides filling in, hosted a morning show. I'd only done nights and afternoons and middays, never a morning show. So what was it that compelled them to fly me in. It was the fake show, remember the fake show, that I went in the production studio and that I did because I didn't have my own morning show. So I wanted to do a prank phone call, 
but I didn't know how to do a prank. There was nobody to do one on. So I called a friend of mine. Her name was Connie. And I said, Connie, I'm going to call you and do a funny prank phone call. Play along. Okay. So what you're about to hear is me calling my friend Connie with what I thought then was an hysterical prank phone call. And it's awful and it's embarrassing and it's even offensive now. Listen to it and we'll talk about it a little bit because this prank phone call that I did actually helped get me this job. Here is the prank phone call faked with my friend Connie in 1984. Here we go. Six Dragon, Shalimar, dancing in the cheese. This is Dave Ryan. 604, good morning. Got a wake up call to do this morning. Get to the phone, yeah? Radar forecast saying sunshine and hot. Later on today, high about 92.74 right now at 96 Rock. Hello? Hello? Is this Connie? Yes. Connie, this this is your grandpa. I was uh, calling to see if you could loan me some money so I could buy some food. Yes, sir. This is your grandpa, Connie, and uh, I haven't eaten in about two weeks, and I'm getting kind of hungry, and I don't have any money. I got kicked out of my house the other day. I've been living in the bus station. I don't know who this is, but this is not my grandpa. Connie, this is Dave Ryan from 96 Rock. <laughs> Connie, your, your husband Mark called earlier and said today is your 21st birthday and to give you a wake-up call, so wake up, Connie. Okay, I'm awake. <laughs> Mark, I am going to kill him. <laughs> Happy birthday, Connie. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. 96 Rock at 612. Good morning. I hadn't heard that in years, and I listened to it the other day when we were all digging up old audio of our shows to play on the KDWB morning show, and I listened to that, and I was embarrassed not only is it not funny, it's it's kind of offensive. I'm talking about a hungry old man with no food living in the bus station. And uh, I thought that was funny. But I wasn't the only one because apparently the radio station managers in Las Vegas, they thought it was funny too. And that's part of what got me hired. And not only was it not very funny, it was the lead bit on my audition reel, my audition tape, because the trick was you always put your funniest stuff up front. And because I didn't have a real morning show, I had to fake that with a friend of mine. But isn't it crazy how 36 years, I mean exactly 36 years later, you listen to that and you go, God, that is crap. It's so bad. Hey, you know what? I think a lot of the work that we do, no matter what we do, maybe we're a photographer, maybe we're an artist, maybe we're a musician or architect or something, and what you used to find really challenging is not that challenging anymore. Maybe your early work is, like, not so good. You know, maybe you're a, I, I can't even imagine, maybe you are a doctor or a nurse, and drawing blood used to be really difficult, and now you draw blood like it's nothing or maybe you design or run an office or whatever it is you do, and it used to be really challenging. But as we get you know, some experience, it's not hard anymore. Um, my prank phone calls, number one, were not fake anymore because now I had a real morning show to do, and they got a little bit funnier as the years went by. I think the funniest prank phone call I ever did was right after the movie Bridges of Madison County came out. 
25 years or so ago. And I called a butcher shop in Des Moines as Clint Eastwood. And I said, hey, I was down there and saw you uh, working at the butcher shop. And you kind of seemed really charismatic and really charming to me. You know, we might have a role for you in a movie. And I just need you to read something in like a really sexy, sultry voice. And he's like, well, what do I read? And I said, read today's specials. So this poor son of a bitch, totally, absolutely 100% authentic, was like, prime rib, three forty nine a pound. And I'm like, oh, that's good. Doing my best fake Clint Eastwood voice, which he totally bought. I said, give me some more. He's like, hamburger. 209 a pound. And we were just dying laughing. That was probably one of the best prank phone calls I've ever made. Anyway, so let's get back to I go into Las Vegas. And remember, I'm kind of a kid who had never seen the ocean until a week before when I visited my brother in California. Uh, I'd never been to a big city like Las Vegas. And it was freaking surreal to be driven down the strip that I'd seen on TV and in movies my whole life, there it was. There was Caesar's Palace. There were all these legendary hotels. A lot of them aren't there anymore. And they took me to lunch, and everything seemed to be going okay. And then they drove me to the radio station to meet the general manager, who was a very handsome, charismatic playboy who was probably about 50 years old or so. And I sat down in his office next to the boss. So there's the program director, the general manager. We're in his office, and there's me. And the general manager looks at me, and he goes, huh, the girls are going to love you. And looking back on that now, how flattering is that? But at the time, I remember it embarrassed me. I was like, I kind of probably looked down and smiled because I'd never really thought that I had a face that the girls were going to like. But he said, the girls are going to like you, and I never forgot that. That night, they drove me back to the airport. They said, the job is yours if you want it. I think I accepted it before I even got on the airplane. And I flew home that night back to Colorado Springs in the bumpiest thunderstorm weather I've ever flown in. People were vomiting on the airplane, and the flight attendants couldn't clean it up because they were buckled in too. And it was horrible and awful, and I thought I might die, but I finally landed, and I told my girlfriend, I said, guess what? You and I are not long for this world because I'm going to move to Las Vegas in two weeks. And so for the next two weeks, I said my goodbyes and said goodbye to my mom and dad. And I can't imagine how hard that must have been on them. I was their youngest and moving away 700 miles away, and I never moved back home ever. I was never to return except on holidays or, you know, a couple of weeks here and there. And I was, that was it. I was gone. And I flew off to Las Vegas, and I did the same kind of radio that Scott Thrower did with my own twist on it. And it was, I don't want to brag, but it was huge. It worked so well. Nobody had done anything like that kind of radio in Las Vegas. And if you listen to recordings of me back then, I'm so full of energy and just kind of a different kind of like childish kind of an energy. And it worked really well. And I worked so hard at that job. That's all I did was work on that show. Recording parody songs and writing funny little commercials and planning for the next day's show. I have never worked on a show where it was already ready for me to come in and just fit in somehow. And that's something that I, you know, I give Steve and Fallon kind of a hard time about this. It's not their fault. But I, I honestly tell them, I said, you've never 
on this show, you've never had to come in, at least on KDWB, and build a show from scratch. From nothing to scratch. And it just makes me realize I've never had that bed made for me before. I've never had that table set for me before. I've never gone to a radio station where it was I was joining an already successful morning show. No, it was we fired the last guy two weeks ago. You're up next. Good luck, motherfucker. And that's the way it's always been. Las Vegas, the guy left. Columbus, the guy got fired, moved afternoons. Uh, Phoenix, when I moved there, uh, the guy got fired. Um, uh, the other station I worked at in Phoenix, it was Danny Bonaducci, and he was the kid from the Partridge family. He did the morning show, and he beat up a transvestite hooker, and he got fired, and I took his place. And that show was kind of already built in, but we bombed. It was, it was terrible. But when I came here, Steve Cochran had just been fired a month or so before, and they put me in there, and they said, good luck, motherfucker. You're on your own. So Stephen Fallon, as talented as they are, I remind them sometimes, it's like, you guys... It's, it was a struggle. There was a lot of people in the building that did not want me to succeed because they love Steve Cochran so much. It was like, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you are friends, when your best friend has a partner that you love and then your friend breaks up with that partner and now they're seeing someone new, you look at that new someone and you go, I don't like you. You're going to have to make me like you. So when I got here, it was really tough. So I'm pretty proud of the fact that, that I built this show from nothing. I had some help. I had some detractors, but it's, it's been very rewarding. Let's go back to the show that got me this job here. This show, this, let me tell you, this podcast is super indulgent. I hope at least you're enjoying it to some degree because it's all about me. Um, and I don't even think there's a lesson in here. But I will end the show with a lesson here in a second. Um, I was working at a radio station called Power 92. And I was a whole lot better by this time. Because remember, by this time, I had about seven or eight years of morning experience under my belt. So here is part of the audio that got me this job here at KDWB. Here is a much younger me at about 29 or 30 years old auditioning for this job. Here it is. Let's go ahead and do the top five things we did that got us kicked out of the Phoenix Open. We all went to the Phoenix Open yesterday. Yeah. We all got kicked out. Here are the top five things that got us kicked out. Number five, most people there dress like pimps. We really are pimps. Number four, creating our own little water hazard behind the clubhouse. Number three, trying to impress chicks by telling them that Dina was Gabe Kaplan. Number two. Not. All right, enough out of you. Number two, trying to recreate America's Funniest Home Video by shoving fat golfer down a hill. <laughs> and the number one thing we did that got us kicked out of the Phoenix Open, we were caught counting the dimples on Arnold Palmer's balls. And those are the top five things we did that got us kicked out from Power 92. Guess who's moved in? Okay, now that's actually pretty funny. But I listen to that and I'm like, wow, do I ever have some youthful enthusiasm in my voice? So, um, so that's kind of the story about how I did mornings. And, um, you know, I could go into a whole lot more detail about some of the good people and bad people that I've met over the years. And I really have. I've met some of the kindest, most warm, wonderful people. And I've met some of the biggest backstabbing bullies that you could ever imagine. And, uh, and just manipulative people. And people who will make you think that they are on your side when they are sabotaging you every way they can. But I've also met people who are very selfless and want to help you 
and want to do their job to make the station better, not to make themselves better. And by that, I mean there's a lot of people at any business who want to work as a team to be successful as a company or as a group or whatever. And then there are other people who really don't care so much about the company. They want to promote themselves and make themselves look good, and they don't care what they have to do to do that. Do I sound like I've run across that a few times? Oh, I have. <laughs> I'm sure you have too. All right, that's going to kind of wrap that part up here. I want to share this with you because I found this really cool. Um, Kobe Bryant, I'm not a basketball fan. I don't really, I didn't, I, I, I was shocked when he died earlier this year, but I didn't mourn him the way a lot of people did because I'm just not a basketball fan. And uh, But I do respect him and admire him for what he did. So I found this and I put it on my Instagram and I want you to check it out if you get a chance um, because it's worth maybe screenshotting and, and looking at once in a while. Kobe's 10 rules. Here we go. Number one, get better every single day. I'm not going to expound on these. You can expound on these yourself. Get better every single day. Prove them wrong. Number three is work on your weaknesses. Number four, execute what you practiced. Number five, learn from greatness. Number six, learn from wins and losses. Number seven, practice mindfulness. Number eight, be ambitious. I love that one. Number nine, hashtag believe in your team. And number 10, learn storytelling. I love all of those, and I would love to expound on those, but you know what? That's his list, not mine. So you expound on those yourself. But I will also say learn storytelling is really difficult, and some people do it naturally, and some people never really quite get how to get from point A to point B with just enough curves in the road to make it interesting. You don't always want to have a straight line from point A to point B in your story, but you certainly don't want to take a 40-mile detour. And a lot of people... They just never quite get that. Tell a story with, a, with enough curves in the road to make it interesting, but not too long. Hey, thanks for listening. Love to hear your thoughts on anything we cover, anything you want to talk about, a life lesson you've learned. Um, uh, I would love to hear from you. We don't get a lot of emails, and you know what? I don't know why that is. We get a good amount of listens, but not a lot of emails. So I would love to hear from you. Send me one to Ryan at kdwb.com. That's my email address. It's my work address, even though um, uh, they're separate things. Podcast and work, they're separate. But love to hear from you, Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. Get the Kindle uh, version of the book, and that's really all that's left. I got about a half a box after selling some at the Excelsior Flea Market yesterday. Hey, enough. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. If you've listened to our show for many years or you've only listened for a few days or a few months, thank you. I really appreciate you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week on Take a Shower. Show up on time and don't steal anything.